Hey everybody, welcome back into Mining Stock Daily this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, not much commentary here on, uh, I guess, the quote-unquote banking crisis with uh, Silicon Valley Bank and, and the second bank out of New York here in the last uh, 48 hours. There was a reason for this, and maybe, uh, you know, I was supposed to get Dave Lotan on last week during PDAC, obviously, when everybody's running around, meetings get canceled or rescheduled, but uh, David, I, I have you on now, it's probably, it probably was meant to be, because if we were to spoke have spoken last Thursday, this probably wouldn't have been something you and I had touched base about, but it is obviously the the major topic of financial markets, global markets right now. And so I'm really happy to have you on here because we let's try to make sense of this. And I know there's, you know, similarities and differences of what we saw in the great financial crisis. You know, people are calling it a bailout. Some other people are not calling it a bailout. Who's getting saved? Who's not getting saved? Where's all this money come from to save the depositors, which we note are the depositors are at least going to get bailed out here uh, with their uh, with the insured and uninsured depositors. Let's just take a real step back, take a breath. And when you saw this news kind of play out over the weekend, what were your initial thoughts here? And like, you know, how were you thinking about all this? <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating, Trevor. Uh, you and I had a Fantastic dinner with about 19 other people on uh, Wednesday night. Before the uh, shit hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was a great night where we really just talked more about mining stocks and, and those kinds of markets. And I got on a plane the next day uh, and uh, sitting on the tarmac started going through Twitter. Uh, and it seemed uh, obvious that things at Silicon Valley Bank were happening in very rapid time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, early morning Friday, I was back and forth with a bunch of my friends in the hedge fund community. It sort of felt like it would get taken over by the FDIC on the weekend, as they typically do, and sold on the weekend, as they typically do. But it's a special kind of bank, and it wasn't clear how that could happen. They ultimately took it over during the day on Friday uh, and then started to. To, to, to attempt to organize what, what was going to happen. And, uh, I mean, lots of talk about Peter Thiel and some of the more influential venture capitalists in, in Silicon Valley advising their portfolio companies to take money out. So, ironically, <laughs> the, the, the founder of the Founders Fund, <laughs> mm-hmm. who wrote the first big check into Facebook, the first real social media juggernaut, uh, is intertwined with this social media driven uh, bank failure. And uh, and then of course there was incredible hue and, and cry by uh, all of the uh, media savvy uh, tech founders and tech investors and, and c- company CEOs on the weekend, effectively trying to coerce Yellen and the Fed into doing something on the weekend or suggesting that the regional bank sector would die on monday morning I, I thought the whole thing was fascinating beyond words and of course they they did cross the line and effectively guarantee unsecured deposits mm. and i'll stop there and let you yeah i i think we could take this so many different directions and not that i you know want to record an hour-long podcast today okay. dave but I, you know there's a couple different themes that come up it's like okay 
where is there contagion? Because here we are the day after everything's been settled. Regional banks are up 50%. They're they're the new meme stock, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people are saying it's water under the bridge. What's done is done. Let's move on. But listen, I, you know, I wasn't an active participate, participant in markets in 2007, 2008. I know you were. But watching that timeline, is like nothing gets settled in 48 hours. That's for sure. Uh, the other thing that I notice is, you know, there's a there's a cultural difference here now with how the news was developed, how people, you know, the depositors were did take out their money, how they got news to take out their money, but also how the news spread. And now we also have Silicon Valley, you know, venture capitalists, some of the, you know, the people or faces are recognized out in the media blitz for what seemed 24 hours a day. Uh, calling for the Fed and, and the Biden administration, the Treasury Department to step in. That's something we didn't see in 2007, 2008 either. So, you know, there's, there's, I think there's some similarities here, but culturally and communications technology wise, this has happened so fast. You know, mm. I, you know, I just, you know, I, I guess, how do you, how do we kind of break this down? If contagion were to happen, if we were to see follow up, failures or more you know cracks spreading and opening up more this is going to happen really really quickly yeah well usually uh when you get into a situation like this the group in power in 1907 that was jp morgan and and the heads of the major money center banks uh and and then in in of course uh the 19 30s uh it was richard whitney at the new york stock exchange and 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 and, and uh you know the the morgan the, the younger uh, morgan uh, i can't remember if it was junius or what his name was um and uh and the federal reserve by that point in time which had been formed as a result of the 1907 panic but generally what happens is everybody gets together in a room and they decide where to draw the line and the panic of 07 is always my favorite it was the last panic that was settled by the private bankers. Morgan locked everybody in the library and decided to draw the line at the trust company of the Americas, Lincoln Savings, and a brokerage company called Morin Schley, uh, and uh, and agreed that they'd bail Morin Schley out of, of, uh, of a $25 million loan in order to uh, get the, the heads of the trust companies at the time to Back the weaker trust with a twenty-five million dollar loan, which numbers those numbers sound quaint uh, by comparison to today. They arrested, they they picked the winners and losers that night, and it was fascinating to me. Assuming that Silicon Valley Bank was already the loser, having to be taken over on a Friday morning by the FDIC to watch the social media crowd, the influential tech investors, try to argue the line backwards try to try to try to take you know because it, it, on saturday you sort of thought well okay maybe it's going to stop with first republic maybe they'll save first republic silicon valley bank's already gone there was talk of the uh, assets being auctioned off over the weekend and stink bids on a variety of aspects of their portfolio uh, and it does seem it did seem, I guess, to some as if as if the Twitter ad I were able to move the line back and take the 
the, the bank that was going to be on the wrong side of it and move it to the right side. And of course, Silicon Valley bank shares are zeroed. Uh, their bondholders will not get a full recovery. The depositors will. And again, this remains unusual. Uh, when uh, the global financial crisis happened in 08, Ireland was, uh, the, the, the government of Ireland was effectively boondoggled by its own banking community and probably some very, and, and, and the EU, to guarantee bank deposits. And uh, it was a statement made by the Irish prime minister at the time in media, which could not be walked back. And they guaranteed bank deposits that were equal to about three times GDP. And it visited horrible financial conditions on the population of Ireland for years, heightened taxes, cuts in programs. And it was extremely controversial in retrospect. So in this case, in theory, you've now guaranteed about $17 trillion. You, You've now suggested that you, the Fed, the government, whoever, will be there for about $17 trillion of deposits, and that um, that is equal to, you know, prob- I think GDP in the States is around $20 trillion now. So it's different, but at the same time, this is the height of moral hazard right uh so it, it's 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 interesting my head is spinning a bit here yeah, Trevor, yeah, to be honest. yeah no and mine is too and maybe we can you know if you have to if we have to answer a question with another question i mean let's <laughs> just kind of pose some thoughts out there because you know mm. we may not have all the answers but obviously sure there's, you know, I like to communicate in the ways what I'm thinking of. And sometimes I communicate mm-hmm. that by just expressing my questions out loud, but I need some clarification. So obviously in the case of SVB, that those insured deposits of up to $250,000, those are covered by the FDIC. Correct. Anything uninsured, is that also covered by the FDIC or is that coming from another pot of money? No, the FDIC, I believe has put together a special fund for this that will be levied, uh, which will be funded by levying a charge on the rest of the banking sector. Okay. So they're going to raise money for another fund to cover this. this I think $25 billion was the, was the first number or the number that was raised in relation to this. And I think that isn't wildly offside. I mean, just thinking about the portfolio of Silicon Valley bank and how many, you know, I think they had a hundred million dollars of, of effectively treasury-backed securities, whether it was MBS or just pure treasuries. And of course, they were all long duration. The company had more deposits than it could put to work. So it was trying to earn the yield curve, the differential between short-term overnight deposit rates and and long-term rates on on treasuries. The original sin in banking, borrowing short and lending long. I mean, it's a ridiculously troglodytic mistake to make for a bank that is centered uh, in in the heart of American innovation. So uh, I don't know what the rest of the portfolio looks like. And there are obviously lots of loans to founders against their stock in private companies. And there are loans to those companies, which in theory would be repaid by future investments from venture capitals, from venture capital funds, or by those companies having successful IPOs. Mm-hmm. So that portion of the portfolio probably doesn't look great, but I, 
think that it was uh, less than 25% of the asset book. And I'd have to go back and check on that. Um, so in reality, I think if we hadn't had this panic, you would have locked up for uh, some period of time. The FDIC would have converted all of the government securities effectively into cash, paid out a dividend equal to, let's say, 50 to 60% of deposits to the uninsured depositors, and then they would get some residual as assets were, were, were later realized. And I'm going to guess you would have gotten 80 cents on the dollar, but you would have gotten it over time. And the timing of that first payment had everybody panicked because, of course, all these companies have payroll to make and uh, advertising campaigns to fund and, and you know, all, all, all kinds of expenses. Right. Uh, so it strikes me that this was not necessary, that it wasn't necessary to go all the way to a, a 100% backing of uninsured deposits. and I think it's dangerous and that it's a dangerous precedent but it isn't like the irish government coming out on on uh, national television and saying all bank deposits are now obligations of of the sovereign nation of ireland well let's open this up a little bit and i want to know why you think it's dangerous and I, I think my background and, and my the back of my head what i'm thinking is okay the fdic obviously came in and and, and, and backstop this, backstop the mm-hmm. depositors and save the depositors. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, obviously a decade or more without, you know, major notable bank failures. So mm-hmm. I was assume that that fund and the FDIC is pretty hefty right now. But, you know, how long can this last? We're talking about the 16th largest bank in the United States making waves in markets and in mm-hmm. the economy the 16th and so mm-hmm. like everybody is kind of sitting on the edge right now what if it happens to the 12th and, largest and, the eighth largest and, the third and, like you know and signature bank was probably in the top 30 which they quietly closed down on saturday night shutting down the last off and on ramp to crypto uh so um they really did they really did pick the winners and losers on the weekend. And um, it, it's, uh, well, so, so let's just back up and say this. When <clears throat> companies don't fail, uh, you lose the essential feature of capitalism, which is Schumpeter's creative destruction, uh, where, you know, companies that, like Facebook that that have this incredible franchise and are somewhat oligopolistic and that have this outsized effect on the economy and on elections, uh, you know, are not, are not vulnerable anymore to a company like TikTok that shows up. I mean, this is the amazing thing about Facebook. It looked completely unstoppable. They could break all the rules they wanted to break. They could, they could um, they could do things that they knew were harmful without fear of consequence because they were so in their mind economically powerful and and well connected through uh, the lobbying community uh, and then TikTok shows up and eats their lunch. Right. That's capitalism and you know there's all kinds of controversy around TikTok. I'm not in favor of it uh, and I and I think there's all kinds of aspects of it that are disturbing. 
Uh, and I look forward to the company that disrupts TikTok, to be honest with you. Um, so if companies can't fail, uh, if, if there is no consequence to taking risk, you aren't in capitalism anymore. And, and the competitive aspects of capitalism and the rewards for innovation, which are zero sum in many cases, you uh, succeed in a business uh, that is different than the last generation of businesses because they've fallen asleep. They're not serving the customer anymore. They're not adapting. They're not moving with the times. And someone shows up with a great idea like Google, like search, mm-hmm. and and slowly but surely converts the value of all these other companies to value in its own stock. And Amazon's a great example. I mean, the, the, the incredible gains in Amazon's market cap were directly, uh, almost directly losses to the value of the New York Times, losses to the value of JCPenney stock, losses to the value of, of Best Buy. Uh, that's the way capitalism works. And, and uh, the pendulum swings back and forth. And that's the way things advance. So it's dangerous to simply say, you took the risk, you made a mistake, but don't worry about it. Where's the pendulum with Silicon Valley venture capitalists right now? It really feels like San Francisco's really mm-hmm. holding on tight to that one side of the pendulum, hoping it doesn't swing back the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's, and I, and I think we talked about this long cycle of venture capital, which I thought was the least productive ever in that the primary, you know, the, the primary accomplishment of it was to create these, uh, networks, these social networks, which allowed companies to study their users, determine their preferences, and target them with advertising, or in some cases, target them with propa- propaganda. And and the uh, product of social media is, uh, you know, interviews, uh, mm-hmm. cat videos, you name it. Uh, that's the product and the consumer, uh, who consumes it, uh, gets to see some products they might, might like to buy and gets to waste a bunch of time. And I guess maybe get in a dopamine loop or something, something like that. So the, the product is distraction. And, and so these people are not producing anything and the consumers are, are not producing anything. And it's, um, I, I think we're, we aren't likely to see a lot of these companies get funded from here the ones that are stuck the ones that haven't successfully ipo'd the ones that are out there making the big money like amazon and google facebook tiktok to some extent i suppose are likely to to further entrench and uh and I think that there are a lot of tech companies that will never IPO, that will never raise money again, mm. and that will will go go to zero. So let's wrap up and bring it back home here, David. I know you've probably thought about this, knowing you. What does this mean for miners, for the metals, for us? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> disgruntled junior mining speculators. I mean, there's got, there's got to yeah. be some sort of connection here and whether it's probably got to be big picture, I'd think. You well, know. one, one further step along the road to uh, the end of a disproportionate flow of capital into the metaverse and, and the necessary flow of that capital 
into the natural resources, uh, the energy and, and the metals, uh, that are necessary for, uh, this, you know, the, the survival of, and flourishing of, of, of humankind. So I think, I think we've been lucky here in Canada and the United States. We haven't had the consequences that you've had in Europe, uh, or especially in Eastern Europe from the Ukraine war. And certainly we're lucky versus people living in Africa or Honduras or Guatemala, where energy prices and food prices uh, are impoverishing people and causing great, great, great suffering. So we're going to have to address those supply deficits. They are directly related to capital having been strangled from natural resources uh, by flowing disproportionately into tech and uh, because of tech lobbying on climate. Uh, and uh, I mean, I think it's fantastic that Biden uh, decided to uh, let ConocoPhillips go ahead and, and develop these new oil resources in, in Alaska. I think that that's a great sign of the administration coming to grips with the dissonance between its policies uh, and objectives uh, and uh, and its rhetoric on you know diversity, equity, inclusion, climate, etc. Et, et, et so uh, it it it's going to be a long journey back to get the world adequately supplied with energy and food and the other resources that it needs to continue to to progress. Uh, and I think that that's going to be really good for investors and in natural resources. You can you can see the uh, the ge- geography of cash flow in the future moving from the west mm-hmm. coast to middle america, you know, to german to, to german lignite mines. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was just trying to think about it, just watching you could you could do some sort of map of, you know, capital flying across the United States and landing in Dallas or Omaha or, Mm -hmm. you know, Toronto or, you know, Mm -hmm. very, very quite. All right, Dave. Um, Listen, this was a big conversation. I really appreciate you you coming onto the pod and kind of walking it through. I don't know if we solved any of the problems, but at least, (laughs) you know, we could kind of express how we're thinking about this really interesting moment in financial history. We've had a lot of them lately, uh, but this one is really you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm really starting to wonder if this is the, I don't think this is the last of it. Do you think this is the last of it? Well, and it, we offline, we spoke about this Fed term, bank term lending program, which is now going to lend banks 100% on the dollar, uh, 100 cents on the dollar for treasuries and uh, government backed mortgage, mortgage securities. And, uh, and so, Again, these programs are so unusual for uh, any financial institution to be able to buy an unlimited amount of treasuries and borrow 100 cents on the dollar, not have to put up collateral when interest rates goes up and their value goes down, is really oh, bullish for precious metals beyond words. But uh, but it, it speaks of it speaks of the major problem in the U.S. banking uh, in the U.S. financial system now is if if they're going to hike rates. To cut inflation, they're going to make banks and even ultimately the Federal Reserve look insolvent. And I can't think it stops here, yeah. Trevor. Well, if you're directing, if you're directing those institutions to buy treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, you're directing them to 
I mean, it, this is financial repression. This is everything I talked about in my presentation in PDAC last week. Like, this is the direction it's going. They are managing the flow of capital in their favor. So they backstop their own debt, but at the same time, they push liquidity into the system and hopefully save save whatever system is left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I hate, the- to, I hate to see it. It's so, like, it's pretty brilliant. I'm not saying it's safer. You know, it might be incredibly dangerous, but... The idea is, I, I gotta give it credit, Dave. It's, it is pretty. We're we're gonna be we're a long way off the zero band, and I think a lot of us, uh, those of us in precious metals, I think, starting in two thousand when the internet bubble broke, uh, and and assuming that we were gonna go to zero and then come off of zero and then have to go back to zero again and over and over and over again, I think a lot of us uh, thought that 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 was probably the beginning of of uh of of a period that would lead to uh the need to create in you know constant inflation in order to inflate away the debt stock and so far that's been right on we've only had debt aggregates rise at every level household sovereign state uh, over the last 23 plus years it looks to me like this Silicon Valley bank activity and the activity around it will only, again, increase leverage in the system. And uh, and so it's just a long way off the zero band, Trevor. It's a long, long way. And uh, and I don't know uh, how will what the outcome will be, but I, I certainly love owning precious metals now uh, as we head further down this road. Yeah. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. All right, Dave, uh, have yourself a great rest of your week. Thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Thanks, Trevor. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.